Welcome to episode three of the Nerd Digest. I'm your host, Grady, and with me this week is not only my guest, but a longtime friend of over 20 years, Mr. John Russo. John, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, man. And so basically what we're going to talk about this week is uh, anime conventions, and I couldn't think of anybody else to call but you, and the reason is that you've been doing an anime convention for 15 years. And so yep. uh, I kind of wanted you just to break in with the introduction. Tell us what convention you run. Give us the background, uh, what it's all about, and um, inform our listeners. So go ahead. Okay. Well, um, I run MechaCon Anime Convention out of New Orleans, Louisiana. Um, it is one of the largest and longest-running anime conventions along the Gulf Coast. Um, we like, like you said before, we, we've been in business since 2005, so that we have 15 successful conventions under our belt. Uh, this year was supposed to be number 16, but thanks to everybody's friend COVID-19, that's getting pushed back to right. uh, 2021. So, um, but uh, yeah, we started in Lafayette, Louisiana, and um, in 2010 we moved uh, from Lafayette to a bigger venue, bigger market in uh, New Orleans, Louisiana. And this is a convention that um, that I started with John. Um, now I didn't start personally, but I was one of the original uh, founding members. Um, and the interesting story about this convention is um, this was a group of volunteers and all mutual friends that got together um, and all had some kind of contribution to make, whether it was they knew people in the industry or whatever the case was, uh, business experiences. And the idea came from I guess maybe a running joke to some hopefulness to where it finally came into fruition in 2005. And, and, you know, where I came in and I you know, recently got out of the military a couple of years earlier. So I headed up the security for the first five years. And when John and, and the crew went to new Orleans, um, I didn't follow. Um, it was just, you know, it was a lot to do for volunteer stuff. Plus they kind of overgrew a, uh, an organic grassroots security team. They actually went to real police officers and things along those lines, which they needed to. Um, and they've done another 10 years since then. But so, yeah, um, kind of was there from, from the very beginning. And as I recall, it was always, it was a lot of hard work, but man, there was some great times. Oh yeah. And there was a lot of, uh, nights without literally without sleeping a wink because yeah. we were, uh, Cutting badges and uh, laminating and stuff. We eventually uh, outsourced all that stuff to save ourselves a whole lot of effort and headache. But you remember those nights of being at Peter's house until like four or five o'clock in the morning, just, yeah. you know, cutting and laminating and printing badges and stuff. It's like it's the, the week before the con was just nothing but sleepless nights and craziness and chaos. And you think that once the convention started, 
and the doors close at night, we'd finally get some rest. But no, instead, we'd be partying with the talent and the guests yeah. and other yeah. con-goers. So we didn't sleep for two weeks straight. <laughs> yeah, we had, some, we had some interesting stuff there. Uh, eventually, that, that had to stop for me. Um, uh, we, we used to go out on Thursday nights with the guests, if you remember. Uh, Peter and I, my yeah. co-organizer, uh, we used to go out to dinner on the Thursday night with all of our guests. It's just kind of a get-to-know-you thing. And when we got to New Orleans, we had to stop doing that. I actually stopped doing it while we were still in Lafayette just because there was so much to do. And I couldn't get away from the convention to go off site to go and have dinner. Uh, I kept uh, sending Pete, but by the time we got to New Orleans, that was something our guest relations department just had to handle without us because we had so many things going on. Right. Um, fortunately, in 2017, when we moved to the uh, Hyatt Regency next to the, the Superdome in New Orleans, we were able to rekindle that um, tradition by having the dinner in house at the uh, at the hotel. And they had a special room as part of their restaurant that we we're able to have every year to do a private dinner service and oh, get some nice. guests again. So nice. Yeah. And and one thing that was really interesting, which is kind of mind blowing, because like I said, we were friends long before this. We did public access TV together and we, you know, we, we did all kind of things together. Um, we were friends for 10 years before this thing kicked off. Um, but it was funny how successful it was from the get go. And when I say that, maybe not monetarily, but we immediately mm -hmm. got a reputation. Um, and we got, I, I think we, we just got lucky in the very beginning too, because we had some very high end guests for our first year con or let's you know, say the first couple of years it was pretty impressive. We were getting, um, world, uh, releases of yeah, certain anime. Remember that? Reconstructed. And yep. yeah, that's right. And, um, and, and we were getting a reputation within the industry of, we were the convention to come to, to party. And I remember because some of these guys would come back the next year and they tell their buddies about it. And then we'd hear you know, amongst the crew, it's like, yeah, man, we heard about the, you know, all the fun that so-and-so had last year. It's like, wow, here well, are all this one, small convention. And one of the Louisiana. secrets to our success in that regard was um, at the time that we started MechaCon, there was, and anybody who was part of the anime circuit, you know, in the early 2000s, um, before 2006 or so knows that there was a lot of tribal warfare between uh, anime conventions and a lot of con anime conventions taking pot shots at each other, trying to uh, have an unhealthy uh competition with one another and a whole lot of mudslinging and stuff right. like that and uh one of the things that uh one of the reasons they did that was because at the time texas had a very strong thrive still does have a very strong thriving uh voiceover community but uh not only uh funimation in dallas but you had uh, adv in houston which was also um doing that and all the anime conventions in Texas were pulling voice actors from either Funimation or ADV. So most of your conventions had the same people over and over. And so we decided early on that while, you know, we, we definitely wanted to have one or two people from Texas, uh, we would focus our attention on the West Coast. We would get more of the people that were up in um, Seattle or uh, in L.A., and um, further north into Canada in that area uh, to come in. And that's how we got to be friends with the uh, Beast Wars people. And uh, we got um, a whole bunch of Transformers people right. from Canada would come down uh, on the regular and be guests of ours, uh, some of which I'd met at BotCon, um, others that uh, I met through MechaCon, uh, as well as uh, bringing in people from Los Angeles, which just wasn't happening in the area at the time. You want to meet, you know, Spike right. Spiegel from Cowboy Bebop or uh, Julia from Cowboy Bebop or Major Matoka Kusanagi from Ghost in the Shell. You came to MechaCon for that because we had that stuff. Um, 
and in 2010, I think that we really blew our body away when we uh, were fortunate enough to get um, Mari Ijima, who was the original voice of Lin Minmay in uh, Super Dimension Forces Macross, uh, to come in and um, do a concert at MechaCon. So that was a big thing, having a Macross guest. Um, it's one of the highlights of my entire tenure as a convention organizer. But I think that that was part of the, the reason we were so successful was because we, we sought out guests because um, that, that were from the West Coast. Because uh, basically in Texas, you had Texas guests and Japanese guests, and that's it. They would fly people in from Japan, or they would get people from the local and stuff. And so they just didn't do the West Coast people. And uh, we got a reputation among the West Coast people. I mean, honestly, in the early, in, in the late right. 2000s, uh, right around 2010, 2011, there were people reaching out to me from Hollywood saying, hey, I heard about your show, you know. And, uh, you know, we, we kind of had to go with it from there. Yeah, I remember um, I went to L.A. one summer to visit my buddy Tony, who was living out there. And while I was out there, I reached out to some of the guys from Harmony Gold, uh, Kevin McKeever and uh, one of the artists. I forget his name right offhand. Um, yes, and, and Tommy. And, um, you know, I had met Kevin, I think, the two years prior at MechaCon. So he was all, you know arms open. He's like, yeah, absolutely. Come on, buddy. And I remember walking into their studio and meeting him and hanging out with him. And in the office, the main office over there, you had all these, you know, pieces of artwork and these posters, but the biggest one right in the middle <laughs> was the MechaCon one from year one. And it, it, it just made me step back. And I was like, okay, Harmony Goals, you know, a big player. They've got some big titles. They're, they're well known as like, and here we are this two or three year convention at the time. I think we were prepping for our third year in the middle of the wall, it just, that's, I guess that's when it really hit me. I was like, wow, this is not just a bunch of beer drinking buddies getting together, doing this. Like this is actually having an impact on the community. So that was really cool to see personally, but let's, I want to back it up a little bit. I want you to kind of tell the story on how it began because I came in in the early, very early stages, but there were stages before I even came in. So tell us the birth of MechaCon and let's walk us up to, um, you know, how the thought process was in the beginning up until opening doors day one. Well, it, I think it goes back to actually uh, the year 2000. Uh, I went to a BotCon anime, I'm sorry, a Transformers convention up in, um, or was, was that the one? That was in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Indiana. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we did costumes and stuff, big Transformer costumes for the, the one the following year in um, Durham, North Carolina. Um, but I, I had it in my head that I wanted to do my own Transformers convention, and my wife and I had gone on vacation to New Orleans uh, to the Hilton uh, New Orleans Riverside, and I was like, man, this would be a great hotel to um, to, to do a Transformers convention at. And uh, she's like, yeah, uh-huh, you're going to do a convention. I'm like, I might. You never know. And um, then I ended up volunteering for a uh, anime convention, a free anime convention that was in uh, located in Metairie on the outskirts of uh, New Orleans. Actually, I think it was in Kenner specifically uh, at the um, Pontchartrain Center. And it was called New Moreno Con. It was a brand new convention. It was a first year convention. It was free. It was free to get in. Um, and I mean, it, it was my first anime convention, proper anime convention. Um, it wasn't a lot, you know, but it was, it was fun. And, uh, so it prompted me to volunteer for staff the following year. 
Well, the following year, they actually had it in Metairie, and um, one of the uh, owners took a shine to me and had me work in, in their operations. And uh, there was at one point of the show where they basically went off site for six hours and left me running the show. <laughs> I'd never done this before. So all of a sudden, I'm in you know logistics hell trying to keep this convention that had probably about 2,000 people there you know, afloat, and I'd never done this before. And, um, you know, we, we did it. And uh, they, they came in about 2 o'clock in the morning like, hey, we're at the French Quarter. How, how are things? Like, the building hasn't burned out yet, so that, there's that. And uh, I ended up being on, on their staff regular. And um, now keep in mind, I, I was still volunteering at the time. They just, they liked, you know, they saw potential in me, I guess. And um, we were trying to get Numerinocon 2004 going, and uh, the – the owners were in the middle of trying to to get um, their own business going in Los Angeles. So they were back and forth between New Orleans and Los Angeles, and they really didn't have a lot of time to focus on the convention. Well, me being who I am, I got frustrated. And I said, look, you have till this date to have a hotel and a date. If not, I'm not going to keep spinning my wheels on this. And date came and went, and I was true to my word. I said, see ya. And I, I pissed off a lot of people that were, uh, were on that staff. And... Um, you know, I was just like, okay, I guess I'm done. I'm done with conventions. I'm done with, you know, with this. I, I you know, man of my word. I do, you know, if I say it, I'm going to do it. And, I, and that's exactly what happened. And uh, Peter and I were actually working out at, at the gym. And um, we were both lamenting about how it really sucked that New Moreno Com wasn't going to happen and that there was going to be a huge void in Louisiana for anime and that, you know, companies would never take us seriously because we could never have a convention that lasted more than two years, yada, yada, yada. And then finally, I looked over at Pete and I said, you know, we should totally just do one ourselves. And he's like, can we? And I was like, well, it's going to take some money, but we'll have to figure it out. So, you know, at first we just kind of joked about it a little bit and then I was like, yeah, let's, let's, let's look into this. Let's see what we can do. And there were a lot of hoops uh, that we had to jump through to try and make it happen in Lafayette. Uh, and incidentally, my wife was telling me the whole time, she's like, you need to approach the Hilton. You need to approach the Hilton and, and see about doing it there. I'm like, Hilton's too big. We'll never fill that place. And <laughs> it's too expensive. And there's just no way as a first year con that we could do it. So we're trying one of the smaller hotels and, they actually came back to us and said, oh, we know about your convention. We heard about you in uh, New Orleans. I'm like, whoa, that's not us. You know, because there, there were some things that happened at New Orleans 2003 that I'm, I'm not happy about. I was, I was off watch at the time, but uh, there were some things that happened, uh, some graffiti that was uh, done on the walls of the hotel. So the, the word got out about um, the anime convention. Right. So they anime convention, they automatically assumed we were the same people. I'm like, no, we're not the same people. They didn't care. And we just kept getting door slammed in our faces. And finally, my wife said for like the 15th time, go talk to the Hilton. So fine, for whatever it's worth, I'll go talk to the Hilton. And it worked out. <laughs> and yep. we ended up doing our first show in 2005 at the Hilton. Um, Numerino Con did another show, uh, ended up doing another show in the spring of 2005 um i think part of that was because they'd heard about us and remember what it said about the tribal warfare they were like oh no they're not gonna you know they're they're not gonna take our territory and i was like mm -hmm. this is happening you know but hey thanks for giving us an opportunity to promote so we bought a booth at uh <laughs> moreno con and uh you know uh we had van nguyen come with us who Van's a great personality about meeting people and getting people to listen to him and stuff. And we uh, we promoted the heck out of the show. And then in 2005, 
um, that last weekend of August in 2005, we uh, we did our show. It was a great show, with the exception of this tiny little weather system that was coming in from uh, from the Gulf. That, uh, <laughs> was a little bit nerve wracking because suddenly the, uh, the highways and stuff started going into contraflow and, uh, mm-hmm. people could not go home to new Orleans. We had a lot of people, a lot of uh, students from new Orleans that, uh, came to our show. And, uh, in case anybody's wondering, this was, uh, August of 2005. If you look back on what I'm talking about, that would be hurricane Katrina, um, the infamous hurricane Katrina. And, um, we we were fortunate weather wise. We just got a lot of hard rain and wind because it would, it went very much to the to the uh, east of us. Um, Mississippi got hit the hardest uh, with uh, New Orleans having issues with the levees and stuff, as everyone saw in the news and stuff at the time. But uh, we were in Lafayette, and we had a lot of students, a lot of underage people who had come to the show with their friends, who all of a sudden couldn't you know reach they 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 couldn't reach their parents and they didn't know what to do they didn't know where to go the weekend was over what were they going to do and i finally had a meeting with the general manager of the hilton and i said look man here's the situation i laid it out for him and he said look what here's what i can do i can't let people stay here for free but if anybody wants to extend their reservations i'll give them first choice so they don't have to go out in the storm they're already here let them stay here and so I, I told people this, and a lot of people, you know, they buddied up in rooms and stuff so that they could do that. And I told a lot of the, the students, I was like, you can't go back to New Orleans right now. The, the traffic right. is no way you can go that direction. Stay That's here. Right. Your parents know you're here. Just wait for them here. And one by one, parents eventually showed up. Thank God you didn't leave. I'm so glad you hung around and waited for me. And they'd pick up their kids <laughs> and they'd move on to wherever else. And that was probably – the most nerve wracking part about the entire convention in year one was the after, which, because uh, I don't know if, if, if people are realize how close to Katrina we were, but uh, Katrina made landfall literally hours after we shut our doors. Um, and it, it just, you know, we, there wasn't a whole lot of time to, to prep. So we, we were at the hotel for a few more days after that and everything and just trying to get everybody situated. But I think that was probably the, the biggest obstacle that we as a convention ever faced was in our very first year of uh, Hurricane Katrina, which led us to uh, the question of do we or don't we do this again? Um, right. Mexicon almost died after its first year because of that. Um, and we, we really, you know, questioned the the intelligence, I guess, of holding an anime convention in hurricane season. And, right. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, that was something that we really had to, to think hard about. And we decided after much conversation between Peter and I to go ahead and um, do a second show, which went off great. Um, that was when Harmony Gold first came. You spoke about them earlier to do the uh, world premiere of Robotech, the Shadow Chronicles. We did it for charity. We did it for uh, the Red Cross. They wanted to do something that would help with the uh, Katrina recovery effort. Um, and we, we got uh, a lot of attention. Uh, ADV Films from Houston, uh, who was one of the big anime players at the time, uh, really you know had our back you know in the post-Katrina uh period and making sure everybody knew who we were making sure everybody you know got to know us and stuff they even sent people over in year two to take video and stuff and made these promotions on their network and everything for MechaCon. so they really had our back and you know we to this day i, I really thank uh, everybody that was at adv films for um 
the faith that they showed in us in a, uh, our little second year convention. And um, yeah, it was it was a very interesting start. <laughs> So yeah, no, so, it, it I was spend days talking about it. But, you know. <laughs> um, let's go a little more into the uh, interesting dynamic of the friends uh, and volunteers, especially in the first year, and getting everything going. Uh, and because you know, <clears throat> if nobody's ever done a convention, no matter how much work you think is involved, there's way more. Yeah, and I always found that to be interesting because, you know, like I said in the beginning, we were a group of, it was, what, 20 or less friends? That was uh, that 12. got together. That's 12. Okay. So a dozen. And it kind of spearheaded each our own little department. And we brought in our own, you know, volunteers underneath us. And it was completely volunteer driven. You know, nobody made money. Everybody did this, um, you know, yeah, we don't make for money. two reasons. <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> two reasons. Years, but I still help. haven't seen a penny of it for myself. Uh. Right, and well, that goes to the two points. So the first point would be is to help our friends out, you know, and get this going, and two to have a successful convention in our, you know, in our own city. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, touch a little bit base about that because it's an interesting dy- dynamic. A lot of times, you know, people get started up; they have sponsors, they have a lot of money behind them. We didn't have that as a group oh. of friends. There was very little money involved, uh, but yet we had all these people donating their time. People like me who was – I'm still, I guess, a novice to anime. I enjoy it, but I wouldn't call myself a hardcore fan. Right. Um, so I didn't really know the industry other than what I saw on DVDs. But let's talk a little bit about that because that's something I find that's one of the most interesting stories about Mechacon's birth. Well, one of the, one of the things that has always eluded me as um – as a person, as a negotiator, is the skill of securing sponsorship. That's something that my life would be so different if I had that skill. I've just never had it. I don't know how to do it. I've tried to do it. I've fallen flat on my face every turn. turn. So getting sponsorships, I, I've never been good at. What I have been good at is moving people, motivating people, trying to get people to see a common goal and go for it. And that is is what led MechaCon to be the grassroots event that you uh, mentioned. Um, like I said, it started out with Peter and I in a, in a weight room, you know, talking about uh, what, you know, could we do this? Could we make it happen? And uh, we had a buddy of ours who we had met through um, just randomly before we even talked to MechaCon. I said, let's do a Chinese New Year, throw it out to the New Moreno Con forums and see if anybody wants to come meet us for food on Chinese New Year. And that's when uh, two people who I'd never met before showed up. One was Ben Nguyen um, and the other one was uh, Blake Rebouchet. And um, Blake had had some experience with guest relations. He knew a lot of guests know how to do it. And Van was just, you know, he was Van. Van was hard worker, and he just, you know, he put, you know, he, he put his mind to it. He'd get it done. That's just, you know, the way. I, I his work ethic has always just astounded me. But uh, Van, yeah. you put him to any task, he'd make sure it happened. And um, Van and I were actually working together at uh, at. Um, a place called Acadian House Publishing. That was our day job. And uh, when, when I started MechaCon, so Van, more than anyone, I think, in that first year, was there for those full nights where we didn't sleep at all and we were doing stuff at the office. My, my boss at the time was kind enough to let me use his computer, and his office is kind of a little headquarters. Um, 
our actual headquarters was at Peter's house. Um, and we just slowly but surely different people that we met and knew we, we brought in there. And I was pretty adamant that I didn't want some people uh, on, on my volunteer security that really didn't know how to handle themselves professionally. And that's where you came in. I was like, you know, Grady was a Marine for years and Marines know how to keep a cool head in a tense situation. And, you know, that was when I was like, I wonder if he'd be interested in being security. And that's when I approached you about it, you know, and I just mm-hmm. felt like, you know, you bringing that military discipline uh, to um, our security team and instilling that in them would make our security team cut above the rest. And it did. I mean, we, we our security team got a reputation uh, in the uh, anime convention circles as most other security team, volunteer security teams or other conventions, people just consider them a bunch of jerks. Our team, right. like, yeah, these guys could break your arm, but they won't. They'll talk you down. You know, that's right. – and, and I think that was the thing was that we – you know, you, you put together a pretty intimidating group of guys who were all extremely professional. So people yeah. didn't want to act up and act out because they knew that you guys could definitely handle yourselves. But at the same time, they also, you know, were respectful of you because you guys were respectful of them. And for that, I thank you personally, Grady. I don't think yeah, no, you're welcome. I it, it's, it's, it's funny because that's the, that was the exact approach I went for. You remember some of the guys like Big Matt and, you know, the boys I brought around were – you know, six foot five. I mean, some 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 men. You got the and, um, team, man. You did. <laughs> but the idea was that you bring these monsters on the floor to where people don't want to cause any trouble. But then when they talk to them, they're like, "Jesus Christ, these guys are just the nicest people ever." Right. So and it's we, really we mess, messing with their heads. <laughs> we ended up, having and you know, there. Yeah, there were incidents, and we were able to put out the fires, uh, and you know, uh, no. Back blast and everything went smooth and there are you know a um, videos out there. <laughs> yeah, there's some videos out there, but you know overall early video um, still one of my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> All in the name of fun. For, for but, your uh, listeners, uh, sake, I let everybody know that we used to call you Sarge and we used to call your team the Meatheads. So it was Sarge and the Meatheads, you know, and uh, that it was a good times. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um. So, so go ahead. I'm oh, sorry. Uh, continue your story. Um, I forgot where I was. <laughs> um, well, we, we talked about the, um, you know, just the, the people you brought on board. Right. Um, and, 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 you know, we talked about Van's contribution and Blake's contribution and, and me coming on board. And mm-hmm. basically it's just kind of giving that general idea of right. these were, we were non-professionals, not involved in anime, not involved in convention or organizing anything, but somehow, the right people all had the right skills in the right areas that you needed. Right. And it's like we rolled, you, I say we, but you and Peter rolled the dice because this was your convention. And somehow everything kind of fell in place the first couple of years. And then that just started the snowball. Well, I think, I think part of it is from, um, you know, like, like I said, I, I, I have a, a innate, um, gift a blessing if you will that was given to me that i can move people and uh, i know it sounds kind of arrogant to say that i don't mean it to sound arrogant at all but i have always had a way of getting people to 
to to to do things outside of their comfort zone that you know positive things don't get me wrong i would never do this anything negative like that but things that you know if someone was a bit shy i was i've always been really good about getting them to kind of come out of that shell and you know do that sort of thing and i i put that to work with this um i've yeah. also really been good at you know getting people bringing people's potential out in them uh saying you know you can do this I know you can do this. Otherwise, I wouldn't have you doing it. And, um, you know, it, it's been uphill with a few people. But I will say this, and and this is where I, I have to actually, um, you know, give major props to my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time. Um, she, when I first talked about doing this with Peter, I was adamant she was not going to be involved. I told her, I don't want you involved. And she's like, excuse me? I'm like, I want to do this myself. I need to do this myself. And she's like, um okay but you know that's <laughs> rude and i'm like i'm sorry i'm not trying to be rude this is just something i need to do myself she's like fine you do it yourself i'll be as supportive as you'll let me be and i'm like it's not like that it's not like i just i need to do this myself and she's like okay whatever and so as you know at the beginning you know when i was trying to get everything going she was like you know you need to talk to the hilton you need to talk to the hilton once i finally got a contract with the hilton she was like well did you think about this well, well no what did you think about this well, well no well what about this this and this um that's a thing and my wife was right. like look i know you didn't want me to help you but you got too much on your plate i need to help you out with this and you need me <laughs> right and and i begrudgingly was like you, you're right i do have too much on my plate i, I could use the help and there were so many cracks that so many things had fallen through and she was there to catch them all. She caught every last thing that this thing, if it wouldn't have been for her, would have been a complete mess, a complete cluster. And she, right. she did it in the background. She didn't make a big deal out of it. Didn't she let me take all the you know glory, if you want to call it that for, for everything that was going on. But the truth of the matter is that, um, you know, that we'd have fall flat in our face you know, more times than I can count if she wouldn't have been there to, to catch all the little things that we let through the cracks. And so, uh, that, um, is what led to us having our first year of the year award. I wanted to recognize her contribution among the staff and everybody, you know, because she was just quiet. She never took a word of responsibility for it. She just did what needed to be done and stay quiet about it and let people think I was the one doing it. And, um, you know, I just, that was where that whole thing came from. You know, she was our first one, which became a, a tradition that we carry on to this day of our gear of the year award. Um, it now comes with a $500 prize, but that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. It didn't before that, that started about five years ago. Um, but yeah, we started that up and, um, you know, she just, she ended up being my secret weapon and I, you know, like you said, everything that, that needed to happen somehow fell into place and was in the right place for things to happen. And her being in my life was a big part of that, I think, you know, and, uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, it, so there was, there was her. And then of course, um, there were a few friends who were, Oh, this is not going to happen. You're going to be like every other person and you're going to uh, say you're going to do it, but then you're not going to do it. And, um, Bob decided, okay, well, look, I'm going to go ahead and give you a leap of faith and I'm going to, you know, be your, uh, your, your ops guy. And I was like, all right, fine. I can use an ops guy. And Travis, how about you? Like, nope, nope. Uh, I believe it when I see it. And then finally Travis came around 
and he he showed up on the weekend of the con to to help out and everything and to cook rice at the uh, dead dog. We won't talk about the rice, <laughs> but um, <laughs> you remember anyway. Yep. Um, but yeah, so that's how Travis got involved, and um, of course Bridget, we brought on board to be our uh, live action mascot, which was something no other convention had done. We uh, created characters Jet and Z. And we brought uh, Bridget Gudo on as Jet, and we had brought uh, Lindsay Dreyer uh, to be, um, I think Dreyer is how she pronounced her name, to be Z, which is where the names came from, actually. Lindsay and Bridget. So Jet and Z came Oh, from. wow. I didn't, you know, I've never known that. Interesting. Yeah, That's dude. interesting. Okay. Jet came from Bridget. Z came from Lindsay. Um, wow. But Lindsay moved away before uh, we could actually do the show, so we only had Jet at our first year. And our following year, we was when we started getting people to take the roles of Jet and Z. We've had many people play the characters uh, over the years. Yeah. Um, but it started with Lindsay and Bridget, and um, so yeah, I mean, the, and there, there were a handful of other people who volunteered and helped out. Uh, James Potter, who did our tabletop gaming, Hunter Domain, who was our um, electronic gaming guy. Um, and forgive me for if I'm if I'm forgetting anybody else, but it was just it was so long ago. It was 15 years ago, and uh, yeah, you know, we 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 had a good little team. And um, the thing was was that we all believed in what we were doing. We all were 110 percent behind the idea that we can make this happen, and we were going to make the best anime convention we could, you know, on a grassroots budget. And yep, I we did, <laughs> we did. Um, one thing I wanted to kind of bring up. You know, it's one thing as a um, a con goer, you you see what's there, you see the end result. They don't see the work that goes into it. But I kind of wanted to dive into that. Um, people don't really understand that you don't just start a month or two before the convention, mm-hmm. throw everything together, and make it happen. This is a year round gig. Um, can you kind of walk us through the phases? If you're doing it our way, if you're if you're one of those people that's got gobs and gobs of money, and you do a comic con once, you know, you could throw together. I could throw together a comic con in two months, but our type of show, no, it takes a lot more planning than that. Right. So, so what's what's it like in phases from? Let's say you close your doors, you've had a successful con. The next day, what goes into the planning? all until you open your doors the next year. Just give me some generalizations of the phases and kind of give the listener just an understanding of everything that goes into it, all the logistics. You know? Okay. Well, I'll, I'll give what, I, what I'm what i clear to actually divulge. Um, yes, absolutely. Phase, just generalize. Once the door closes, we have what's called dead dog. Dead dog is the after party. That is the reward to everyone on staff. It's a private party uh, to everybody on staff and all of our guests. Um, it has an open bar. It is now catered. You, you've never been a part of the catering, but we got no. some. Um, it's, it's, a, it's the party of the year. People have always said that our dead dog is the party of the year. Um, I mean, nobody parties like South Louisiana parties, you know. And um, That's true. So we, we do our dead dog, and then uh, I send everybody home. We, we run a bus every year to get our staff, because most of our staff still from Lafayette. We have a bus that we bus everybody into New Orleans, Um on the bus. Well, the following Monday morning after Dead Dog, all the hungover people <laughs> climb on board the bus and they head back to Lafayette. Myself, along with uh, the command crew, we called them, which was uh, senior staff, um, or as you knew it, the quorum at the time. Um, we stay behind to count the till, and you know, I have meetings with the hotel and stuff like that, and then. Um, 
we eventually all come back to Lafayette and the money that we bring in from that year starts going to the bills and the bills are very, very expensive, especially in new Orleans. Uh, that's the thing that a lot of people don't understand. They see a lot of people at conventions and they go, Oh my God, these guys must be swimming in money. Like, you know, that first day after, yeah, there's money. There's a lot of money within a week after that, all that money has gone to other people. And, uh, you know, like the hotel bill is in six digits every year. Um, and a lot of people don't realize that. Uh, and then of course there's, you know, our AV and we have our guests, I mean, plane tickets and appearances that, that is one area that's gotten way, way more expensive over the years. But, uh, you know, there's a whole lot of different things that, um, you end up having to pay all these bills. And when it's all said and done, you have a meager amount left over to carry you into the following year. Um, what we did in the first few years was we worked out of Peter's house. Uh, Peter's house was our de facto headquarters. And um, we were still doing that even after we moved to uh, New Orleans. And then finally I was like, okay, we can't keep working out of Peter's house. So I, I rented us a uh, office, uh, which we call the HQ here in Lafayette. And um, we have our meetings there. Um, so I'm starting to digress. Um, after the con, after bills and stuff are paid, um, there's usually about a week before we have our post-con meeting. The post-con meeting is uh, a long meeting. It gives every department head uh, an opportunity to talk about what went wrong, what went right. Um, we talk about you know all the pros and cons of the show. Um, and then we all go out to dinner and have a big old meal. And then... Usually, not so much for the command crew, but for the rest of the staff, we would have about a month that we would just do nothing, nothing convention, nothing related to the convention or anything. Um, I've all, Peter and I have always had stuff that we've had to do little things here and there, so we never really got that break. But for the staff, there was always that, that break, that month or two break. Usually around the end of September, end of October, we'd start with our first meeting for the following year. Um, then we would have our meetings monthly, do our Christmas party. Um, but we really start getting into high year after January 1st. Um, the idea um, in the meetings that we would have in the fall would be a pre-planning, talking about what we'd like to do with this year, what kind of themes we want for these things, tell people to try and start getting people to start, you know, uh, coming up with ideas and, and things like that. And then come January, it's time to hit the ground running. It's time to start taking all these plans that they've been making for the last couple of months and start putting them into practical application. Um, so we start um, – well, the guest booking starts in the fall because we always try to have some guests announced by Christmas. Usually we only have one or two, but um, that's when we start because we open up registration on January 1st of each year. Um, that's when people have the opportunity to get their passes at an early price. That's going to be a little bit cheaper. Um, and, um, that money goes towards the bills and the overhead for the office, the, um, different things, which we'll get into when we talk about how COVID, uh, is affecting us. But, um, <laughs> that's, that's a thing. It's a financial yeah, part. Absolutely. We'll talk about that in a, in a bit, but just to go on with the, the way the year goes is um, 
the spring is when our convention season kicks back up. We used to go to a lot of conventions to promote, get the word out about us, um, but word is out. People know us. And at this point, we got to a point where uh, we were basically spending money to go promote at conventions where everybody already heard of us. And right. it, it just didn't seem like a good application of the, the money. So I started uh, instead cutting down on those trips and heading into more advertising, advertising in things like, um, what's the name of that magazine? It's a magazine that you can buy at a Walmart. It's an anime magazine that we, uh, we promote in sometimes. And um, radio advertising became a big thing. Um, in fact, uh, Bridget, who we spoke about earlier, has uh, now got a career in radio because she started doing the Mechacon commercials for us. And, uh, you know, I remember telling her, like, Bridget, you have you have a gift for this. You have a knack for this. You really should pursue a career in radio. She was like, really? You think? I'm like, you have an amazing voice. You do a great job. Go for it. And she's got a thriving career now in radio. Um, That's great. It is. It, it makes me feel good every time I hear her on the radio. <laughs> she always had that knack, and I'm glad that she <laughs> Our little girl's all grown up. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Um, but back to the way that uh, we schedule things right around June, um, uh, we start going bi-weekly with our meetings, um, as things are really kicked up by then. And, you know, people are, you know, every meeting that we have around Robin where people tell us where their department stands and stuff like that gives an opportunity to let me know what they need from me. Um, and we, you know, we keep everybody on the same page. The idea behind having so many meetings and doing this so regularly is so that when the show happens, if someone comes up to you, and I've told this before to, to people on my staff, and you, you remember this from even back then, I don't want you to ever say, I don't know, and leave them hanging. That's some, that's right. always been an absolute no-no with me. You do yeah, not. Unacceptable. Right. Completely unacceptable. Right. And one of the things is that by people coming to regular meetings, they know what's going on. And so if someone says, hey, can you tell me what time such and such is? They can say, you know, I'm not really sure, but here's where you can find out. Let me take a look. Let me see if I can call somebody who can give you that information. And it's always been about customer service. Customer service has right. always been number one with us. Is that, you know, who who likes going to get a hamburger and having the person that's ringing them up treating them like shit just because they walked in the door? Sorry, excuse my French. But no. um, <laughs> nobody likes that. You know, nobody likes to, you know, try to go somewhere for service and be crapped on. You know, and I'm a very strong proponent on good customer service, and I try and instill that on everybody on my staff. Everyone on staff knows I have a zero tolerance for bullshit when it comes to the way you treat our attendees. You better treat them with respect. Right. Plain and simple. I don't care who it is. I don't care if you know them. If you don't know them, I don't care. You treat them with respect that's due them. And, um, you know, that that's one of the things that, you know, with the meetings, you know, uh, it – gives the it equips everybody on staff with the general knowledge of what's going on in the building at all times even when they're at their station doing their thing they know like if it's uh three o'clock on saturday you know what's going on right now well cosplay is starting right now over on the uh, third floor you know and that's sometimes at other conventions you go to people who are just going volunteer for that first weekend they well, what's going on right now i don't know that right. Way. Acceptable to me, 
So having these regular meetings uh, in June, they would go to uh, biweekly, and then come July, they were weekly. Um, and then two weeks before um, we, we did the uh, show, we'd have our final prep date. Uh, a week before we did the show, we would have bag stuffing slash pallet packing day. Um, bag stuffing is not something we do anymore. Uh, we do still have gold pass bags, but it's not like it used to be. Back in the day, the industry would send us all kinds of goodies to put in bags to give to our VIP pass holders. Um, yeah, I remember. Over the time, over time. Oh, you remember? Those things got heavy. We got a lot of yeah, stuff. Yeah, man. Over time, that trickled to uh, hardly anything, to where we've gotten to the point where we've had to actually start buying things to put in the bags to make it worth people's while. So it started costing us more money to um, be able to keep that that perk up. Um, yeah. And it's mostly just promotional materials they send now, and it's just it's not like it used to be, um, which is a shame. Um, so that we used to pack the gold pass bags and then, um, now we do the pallet packing day. And the idea is that when Travis, who drives the truck shows up at the HQ on Wednesday morning to load that truck, all he has to do is load that truck and head to new Orleans. And you know, that if somebody doesn't have their pallet packed and wrapped by that Saturday night, Oh, Travis gives them hell. Travis gives them all the hell, you know? Because we tell them, you know, it's on the calendar for a year. You know when pallet packing day is. Have your shit together, plain and simple. Yep. You know, and we don't we don't suffer you know that sort of thing lightly. Uh, we had a guy who was on staff. He's not on staff anymore. And I got to say his name, but he had a bad habit of putting things off, and he used to grate Travis's last nerve. And uh, there, were, there were a couple of hairy moments. Um, you know, because he just he he couldn't bring himself to be responsible enough to just do the simple thing that Travis asked, and that was have your shit together when it's time to pack it. That's plain yeah. simple. It's not hard, you know. And he just you know he he did his own thing, and Travis and him butted heads a few times over it. But anyway, I digress. But um, so then you know uh, we pack up the truck on Wednesday on the Wednesday of the show. Uh, everybody on command crew uh, heads out to New Orleans on Wednesday. We get settled in the hotel, unpack the truck that night. Uh, Thursday, we start um, bringing all the pallets into the different rooms that they need to be in. Um, about noon on Thursday is when the bus shows up with everybody else from Lafayette. They, uh, they all come in. They all get checked into their rooms, and they come down, and they help us set up. Uh, we set up as much as we can on Thursday. Some things have to wait till Friday, depending on what's going on with the way the hotel has booked the rooms. Um, and then Friday morning, we uh, we open up and we have a three-day four-hour con content. And uh, we close the doors at 5 p.m. on Sunday and do it all over again. It's just so much going on. So many so many wheels turning. Um, okay, so you already broke the ice on the, the COVID thing. Mm -hmm. um, give us a little insight on, on how that's affecting um, or has affected this year's con. Well, this year's con was going to be our last con. Um, we decided uh, our convention is called MechCon Omega because this is our last show. We decided that it was time for us to end it. Um, and not for any bad reasons, but simply because we wanted to go out in our prime. We wanted to end it at our strongest point on our terms. That way 
from here till eternity, when people think back on MechaCon, nobody ever says, man, they should have stopped doing this a long time ago. You know, they'll all be like, it right. was such a great show. It was, you know, we want people to remember it that way. That's where our legacy comes in, is in people always saying, hey, mm-hmm. you know, remember MechaCon? Nobody's ever been like MechaCon since. Nobody's ever going to be again. You know, we want people to have that that nostalgic feeling when they think about us. And so, um, you know, and there's a lot of other reasons, you know, like I'm getting older, Peter's getting older, we just kind of retired, you know, and uh, ready to do move on with life and do other things in life, you know, and people are saying, absolutely, why don't you pass it on to somebody? We entertained that idea, and then decided against it, because um, we've seen situations where people have sold conventions to other people or passed it on to other people, and those other people just drove it into the ground. And it just wasn't um, right. There's a convention there in Texas that I'm not going to say the name, but everybody knows what I'm talking about Mm -hmm. that recently got sold to someone else. And that someone else is not doing what the previous owner was doing. And it's kind of disappointing a lot of people. Um, They'll know who I'm talking about. Um, But (laughs) your listeners will know if any any listeners from Texas, especially Northern Texas uh, will know (laughs) what, what convention I'm talking about. Um, and I'm not dissing on that convention. Don't me wrong. I'm, I'm not. I'm just making an observation from an outside point of view on the difference between the previous owners and the current owners. Right. So we didn't want that to happen. We we decided that we wanted to keep our legacy intact. We wanted to keep what we did intact. And that the only way to do that would be to close our doors and just go ahead and say goodbye. So we, we plan to do Mechcon Omega which was going to be this this July, this month, actually, a couple of weeks. Um, and it was going to be our big goodbye, our big farewell. We were going to pull out the stops and just have a great show, a big show for everybody. And um, it, it was very bittersweet, and there was a whole lot of hard emotions trying to break it to everybody. We were doing our last show. And, um, you know, just mentally and emotionally preparing ourselves because I'm be honest, I'm going to be a wreck when this is over with. I'll eventually get past it and move on with life, but I'm going to be an absolute wreck, even though. Yeah, this is your baby the last 15 right. years. Man. Baby's graduating. It's time to move out of the house. You know? Yep, and, that's uh, right. Get out of here. So we, we were, exactly, we were, um, we were preparing for it mentally and emotionally, and then COVID happened, and we were like, oh, God, this is not, this, this is not really happening, is it? Okay, maybe, maybe this is going to be something that's going to be quick and by July, everything will be back to normal. So, you know, people on the very early on in right. February were like, are you going to cancel? I'm like, it's February. We don't know what's going to happen in July. I'm like, oh, you're going to put people's lives at risk. I'm like, mm-hmm. we're not going to put anyone's lives at risk. Come on. You know us better than that. No, we're just kind of biding our time and seeing what's happening. The hotel doesn't want to make any quick decisions either. Well, then March rolled around. Things started getting worse. People were like, oh, well, what are you going to do? We got to, we got to, you know, Metcon's got to cancel. Like, we're not doing that yet it's still you know nearly a half year away you know we we want to see how things go well april rolled around and it started looking like okay we need to really start considering what's going to happen now keeping in mind this was going to be our last year which means we did not have dates for 2021 booked with the hotel because there was not going to be a 2021 Oh, that's right. Yes, and correct. so a lot of conventions, which were able to postpone, just fell back on the dates they already had booked for 2021. Like, oh, we can't do it this year, but we'll see you on these dates in 2021. 
you know, we're going to roll your, your uh, reservations over. Everything's great. You're like, yay, done. Not so much with us. With us, yeah. we're like, okay, we don't have dates. And I, I tried talking to the hotel, and I was like, we should probably start doing the hotel. Like, well, it's it's still early. Let's let's hold off and see how this goes. And they wanted to hold off till June first to see how things were going. I was like, yeah, that's that's cutting it real close. So May first, um, I, I addressed everybody on uh, our social media and stuff about what was going on, and that we were just going to kind of wait and see what was going on. And then uh, Mayor Cantrell. In New Orleans, actually, at that point, made a, a declaration that she felt that there should be no large gatherings well into the rest of the year, no more of 2020. And that was like, oh, ouch, that that hurts, <laughs> you know, because we, we didn't know where things were going to be. But Cantrell was like, you know, no, no more large gatherings. And we're like, OK, well, what do we do about that? And then, of course, you know, the hotel was you know, saying, well, you know, that that's not a, an order. It's more of a suggestion. And we're like, eh, well, we're going to see. And then finally, not even a week later, I finally just said to the guy at the hotel, and I said, you know, hey, man, we can't do this. This is a force majeure situation. There's no way that we can safely put on our show the way that we need to. Um, to You know, there's just no way. We, with all the different safety precautions and stuff that are going to need to be put in place, we just wouldn't be able to do it. I mean, our, our main event, which housed, you know, which we could squeeze in 2,400 people would suddenly only be able to seat 500 people because you'd have to keep the chairs six feet apart. And, you know, I, right. if, I don't know if you ever tried sitting people together, you can squeeze four people, sometimes five, if they're small people in a six foot area, you know, in a chair side by side, you know, um and uh that plus the fact that our rave which was one of our biggest events would have to be canceled entirely um because you just you couldn't have a rave <laughs> under covid and stuff so we we uh talked with the hotel and we said look we're in a force majeure situation which for those who don't know force majeure is um found in most contracts is called the act of god clause that is actually what force majeure is in latin an act of god um, meaning that there are um, circumstances um, beyond anyone's control that prohibits you from being able to 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 produce your function in the way that you need to for it to be successful. And uh, the hotel was very uh, understanding when we invoked the force majeure clause, and uh, they said, okay. Well, well, we'll go for 2021. I was like, all right, let me know what dates you have. And they're like, oh, well, we got dates in uh, May, and we got dates in August. And I'm like, oh, man, both of those are in school time. Don't want to do that. What else do you have? And I kept pushing, kept pushing. And then finally, they said, okay, look, here we have these two sets of dates, which we think both of these could work for you. We have these dates, which are in July. But there's a big group who has a good chunk of this uh, space that's um, – reserved already and we'll just have to talk to them about freeing up the space so that we got we can get make sure you guys get your space we're like those dates would be perfect for us we definitely want those july dates or we could do memorial day weekend but the only catch there is that instead of doing a friday saturday sunday show since we have stuff going on on friday your show would have to be saturday sunday monday which is memorial day people aren't school on memorial day anyway so why don't you do that i'm like uh because that 
not going to work. <laughs> you know, conventions are Friday, Saturday, yeah. Sunday. Doing Saturday, Sunday, Monday, that, that won't work so much. And I said, okay, put those dates as a backup and let's try and get this other group to release the space for the dates that we want. And this was in June. And I'm mean, beginning of, I'm sorry, end of May, uh, middle May. And they said, okay, we'll start working on that. I'm like, awesome. So I tell everybody, hey, we're going to, you know, have, uh, we're, we're going to have some news for you in a couple of weeks. Uh, a couple of weeks shows up. Hotel, hey, what's going on? Uh, still nothing from that other group. I'll, I'll get back to them. Okay. Well, people need to know. And um, more recently, I, I asked again, hey, what's, what's going on with that? I, I need to let our people know. And they're like, well, you have to understand, you know, that, you know, a lot of people are, you know, kind of slow in responses right now, given everything going on. I'm like, yeah, I understand that. And they're like, well, when you're talking to lawyers, it gets even slower. And so, you know, we're, we're confident that that oh, space boy. will be released, but we just got to be more patient. I'm like, well, I got, I got vendors and stuff, you know, thinking that we're not doing another show and, you know, I, I, I need to give them something. They're like, well, we have those Memorial Day dates. And I'm like, no, you know, I, those are backup <laughs> dates just in case, but we really want these July dates to make it happen. So I find myself in, in, in a very uh, precarious position, which I don't want. I hope no one else ever has to be in this position of having to try and keep urging our attendees to be patient with us because this is a slow process while the hotel is trying to advise me to be patient with them because they're waiting on the other party to, you know, you know what I'm saying? And, and so we have that going on in the meantime, right. we have uh, now have to look at an extra year of overhead that we weren't prepared for. Our plan was originally after we finished our show in July this year, we were going to spend the next few months liquidating everything in our office and then shuttering our doors by January 1st. And that was going to be it. Done deal. All the bills were paid. Everybody was paid that we needed to pay. And we move on with our lives. End of story. Well, now all of a sudden we have an entire year worth of, of rent, uh, power, uh, Adobe charges. Could we use the Adobe software to do everything with this convention? Uh, and that's like $250 a month. Right. Um, and among other things, there's a bunch of other things. Uh, in fact, I just had to do the insurance on the building for another year. You know, so there's a lot of things that just keep adding up. And so all of a sudden we find ourselves in the position of having to spend thirty-five dollars to $40,000 on overhead that we weren't going to originally have to, to deal with because we were closing the doors. And there's no new money coming in because everybody's already got their registrations, you know. Basically, what money we right. had yeah. is going toward that. So, you know, it, it's we're just going to have to try and get people to urge more people to <laughs> register for when we do our show again. But it's just it that's where it's tough is that you know we uh, we were in a comfortable spot going into our final year, and now it's not going to be so comfortable because of all the unexpected overhead that we have to cover. Um, but mm. having said that, we've been in uncomfortable spots before, and we've always thrived. And this is no different, you know. Yep. I remember a lot of people on staff. There was one year; it was, a, I think, our toughest year financially, um, where we uh, we almost didn't even break even. We almost were in the red at the end of the year. And um, I, I went to the meeting and I told everybody what was going on. And it just it seemed really bleak. And then that's when a little little voice of Mal Reynolds from Firefly came into my head and said, "I just it just came out of my head." But you know what? We're still flying. And that's something. 
And people on staff told me that that just inspired them more than anything. It was that was so inspirational. I'm like, really? Yeah. Well, that was a Mal Reynolds quote, you know, <laughs> but yeah, that's how I felt at the time. Like we're still flying and that's something. And I think this is the case now is that we're still flying yeah. and that's something. Uh, we are still going to be doing our final show. Um, ironically, this whole thing really has got me looking at it going, do I really want it to be my final show? Do I have to keep myself on track? I think, yes, we, we decided on that for a reason. But, you know, I start getting that nostalgic feeling and I'm like, yeah, do we really have to end? You know, you know maybe the sure. year off is what we needed, you know, and, and, and uh, th- those thoughts creep in. But it's like, no, I, I, I look at the gray hairs in the mirror and I'm like, no, it, it's time. You're doing it when it's time. And that's what we need to do. And uh, so, you know, it, it, it's going to be a tough um Tough road getting from uh, here to uh, next July. Uh, praying that it's not going to be Memorial Day. It will be the July dates so, um, if we can get that to happen. Um, but it's it's nothing that we haven't done before. I mean, we've our our show has been faced with so many obstacles over the years, and we've overcome them all. And I just you know I have pride in our show. I have pride in our staff, and uh, I have faith in our staff that we can we can overcome anything that's thrown in our direction. So if we have listeners out there who are interested in getting there to 2021, how do they follow you? Where do they follow you on social media to keep these updates readily available? Uh, well, we have a Facebook. Facebook is, is our primary source of social media. I know it's for old people, but I'm <laughs> an old people. So, you know, that, that I'm one of those old people. Uh, Facebook is our primary source of social media. News. Um we also have a Twitter. Um, we also do Instagram. Uh, we had a Tumblr, but I don't think we've done anything with that in years. Besides, so Tumblr is a is a yeah. dark place these <laughs> days. <laughs> it's not not a not, not a place I want to be associated with anymore. But I know we had a Snapchat. I don't, I don't know if that's even still in uh, in use. But we definitely have the Twitter, the Facebook, and the uh, Instagram um, social media sources that people can follow us on and keep updated with things. And of course our website, which is www.mechacon.com or as many people have said over the years, <laughs> All right. So John, this leads us to the last segment of the show. And for every show we do a top five. Okay. And I thought it was fitting since we have the, uh, the owner or co-owner of MechaCon here, an anime convention, that we go over our top five animes together. So um, you're the guest. Right. I'm going to let you kick it off. We're going to go from number five to number one on your favorite anime. And, and just give a brief, you know, okay. if you have something to say about it, give a brief reason why or what you love so much about it. And uh, we'll see what those number ones are. Top five. All right. Well, Number five would be Naoki Urasawa's Monster. Um, you can find it by Viz Entertainment. Uh, it's 75 episodes, and it is one of the most compelling um, animes I've ever seen. I I watched it when it aired in Japan, and I was just on the edge of my seat every episode wanting to watch the next episode. It's a psychological thriller um, about a serial killer and a doctor who's hunting him down trying to stop him. So... Um, yeah, Naoki Urusawa's okay. monster, definitely one that I. Have so people. my my number five, we're gonna we're gonna swap back and forth. Um, yeah, my number five, it's it's gonna be very generic and maybe kind of cheating a little bit, but I have to put Pokemon 
as as my number five uh, as being a, a longtime player of the game and watching the the anime um, its longevity <laughs> and its fan base that's just still there. Yeah. So that's just something that it it still holds true. Um, so you know, real simple for me, number five is Pokemon. Hey, it's a it's a great one to yep. pick. Um, all right, well, number four for me is uh, the Vision of Escaflone which was uh, released in, I think, 1998. Um, it was one of my first animes and one of the best, I think. Uh, beautiful uh, design, beautifully uh, orchestrated. Yoko Kano, some of her best work. Um, and, you know, it's just, it's it's definitely one of my favorites. Anybody that's never seen Escafloni really owes it to themselves to, to find it. It was recently redubbed by Funimation with a great cast doing fantastic work. Um, so, uh, yeah, you can find it through Funimation right now. It's called uh, The Vision of Escaflone. I think anybody from our age bracket who's been in the anime for a while would have that pretty, at least in their top ten. You know, that that was very oh, yeah. big. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful movie. Yep. I mean, beautiful series. It is. Um, number four for me, I have Basilisk. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's maybe not that common, but... I've heard of it. It's... Um, it's just your classic clan versus clan, uh, you know, series. And it's basically in a nutshell, it was, um, I think it's the Iga and the Kuga clans. And they're basically fighting over which grandson of each clan is going to be the next Shogun. And so basically each clan gets like the top 10, uh, ninjas representing each side. And there's basically a, a, a battle Royale and last man standing, means their clan wins and it's just it's well done it's the characters are great so basilisk is being my number four awesome all right well my number three is actually a saga and less um less an actual one anime series um and that's macross um think of it in terms like gundam you know how there's several different gundam series that would be like saying Gundam as a whole. That's how it is with me with Macross. I love every Macross series I've seen. I'm just starting to watch Macross Delta, which I – it's kind of like Sailor Moon the musical with Jets. I'm not sure how I feel about that <laughs> yet. Um, but every Macross series that preceded it was absolutely fantastic. Um, Macross um, – Super Dimensional Fortress Macross started in 1983, I think it was. And Harmony Gold, the guys you mentioned earlier um, – brought it over to America in 1984 and called it Robotech. Um, and uh, I won't get into all that stuff for time, but uh, Macross, the Japanese, the original Japanese, is uh, one of my favorite sagas of all time and uh, some of the best mecha designs ever. Uh, Shoji Kawamori, uh, who designed all the mecha, he incidentally also assisted in the designs in Escaflone. Um Shoji Kawamura is a huge, huge fan of fighter craft, military fighter craft, and has incorporated those designs beautifully into every jet that's ever graced the screen on uh, Macross. Uh, it's just, it's it's a big investment if you want to watch it as far as time, but it's worth it. It's so worth it if you watch it. Yep. Um, okay. My number three would be uh, Great Teacher Onizuka or GTO. Um if there's ever an anime character that would be me, <laughs> I think it would be, it would be uh, 
of GTO's main character Onizuka. So I mean, um, I, I read a little bit of the manga uh, back in the day. Yeah, I can see it. Yeah, yeah. I just I, I relate to him. Uh, <laughs> he's set in his ways. He's kind of old school in his methods. He's stubborn. Um, I just relate a lot to it, and the the, the storyline is just fantastic. So uh, for those reasons, uh, GTO gets my number three. Cool. Well, my number two would be a lot of people's number one, and that is Cowboy Bebop. Ah. Uh-huh. Um, Cowboy Bebop, one of the greatest animes ever made. Yes. Uh, it was 26 episodes, but those 26 episodes, man, what a ride. Um, you had uh, Shinichiro Watanabe directed and created it. Uh, I met him, very nice guy, a little eclectic, but I met him once, he was very nice. Um, and again, Yoko Kano did uh, the music for that, which also I had said Macross earlier, Yoko Kano did some of the music in Macross. So <laughs> the three out of my five, uh, Yoko Kano did a score for her. So I love Yoko Kano and everything about her. I want to have her babies. Nice. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, but no, uh, definitely Cowboy Bebop is, is right up there in my top five. Okay. Uh, my number two, kind of like what you said earlier, which a lot of people might put this as their number one, uh, is Naruto. Um Big fan of the early series, big fan of Shippleton um, and everything after. Uh, I think my reason is the story to me um, is just fantastic. And, and, you know, very few dips for me personally. And I know a lot of people complain about the filler. um, But I just think from start to finish, there's just so much, so many layers, so many characters you fall in love with. Uh, To me, it's just fantastic you know i mean anybody who's an anime at least has heard of naruto so naruto gets my number two well interestingly enough one of our guests that we had um booked for our final show um we actually had a few naruto guests booked for our final show and hopefully they'll all come back in 2021 one of those people was uh, the voice the english voice of naruto himself uh miley flanagan oh and yeah lowenthal who was the voice of sasuke I, uh, I recently saw some interviews with those two guys, um, or sorry, those people, because one is a woman. Um, yeah, they look like they're a very fun, fun group to hang out with, for sure. <laughs> so, yep, we uh, we were looking forward to inviting them, and uh, they all seem to be interested in going ahead and coming back in 2021, depending on when the dates are set and if they're, they're available. So hopefully That's we awesome. can still have Sasuke in 2021. So. Sweet. All right, well, my number one, um, and and – you know, when you when you ask somebody to come up with a list of their top five anime, you always got to wonder which one's going to get that number one spot. And I really think yeah. that this one deserves it more than any other, and that would be Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. Okay, um, yeah. Full Metal Alchemist, the original anime, was good, but it was it it fell under the the problematic situation of the anime catching up to the manga before the manga was finished, and uh. much like with uh, Game of Thrones they had to make their own ending, which was not necessarily what the manga was going to end like. And it wasn't at all. (laughs) The manga kept being made after the series ended, and it was phenomenal. It was so amazing. People were like, oh, my God, this this story, how how can we do this? And that's when they decided to do Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, which was a retelling of the Full Metal Alchemist story, but strictly adhering to the manga from beginning to end and it is such a fantastic series the music 
beautiful. The animation, gorgeous. The acting is tremendous. It's everything. The story is just, oh, God. It's just, I can, if, if I had to give any anime five stars, it would have to be Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood because it was just that good. And I, I think, you know, it, it rightfully deserves a number one spot in my top five. Yeah. I think there's many people out there who would agree with you. It's, it's definitely, uh, I, I would say, probably on the Mount Rushmore of animes. I mean, everybody knows it. Uh, okay, my number one uh, is Gunslinger Girl. Um, you know, these lists are personal, so, you know, I, I don't follow the popularity just, you know, just because. Um, although Gunslinger Girl has a pretty good fan base. But the reason why I loved it so much was it was so different from your typical anime. It was, you know, it was set in Italy. The artwork is very mundane and dusty looking. It was very drab. Um, but the story, there, there's not many animes that I watch to get emotionally involved or, or even invoke any emotion in me. I, I usually watch it for fun and I like ninja stuff and that's cool. But the story, um, and for those of you who aren't familiar, the basic story is that they take these children, the girls, who let's say something happens to them, they get into a car accident and they happen to die. Well, they turn them into androids and they use them for government business. And they're basically trained to be these unbelievable assassins hidden as the guise of a cute little girl. And it shows the relationship between the girls and their handlers and how they slowly become more human um, and lose that robotic, I guess, um, personality. It's just so good. It is so good. And you just get so invested in these, these couple of little girls and their handlers and their stories. It's fantastic. So that's why, uh, that's why I got to give Gussinger girl, my number one. Well, in that same vein, can I give a runner up? Yeah, absolutely. Do an honorable mention for sure. Honorable mention. Honorable mention. Ghost in the Shell. That was a hard one for me to take off of my top five. Um, I love everything about Ghost in the Shell. I especially love the English dub of Ghost in the Shell. I feel that they did an amazing job rewriting the Japanese dialogue mm -hmm. uh, for it. Um, Ghost in the Shell as a saga, no specific series. Um, the voice acting is is top notch. Uh, I'm friends with uh, Mary Elizabeth McGlynn, who uh, does the voice of Major Motoko Kusanagi. I'm also friends with uh, Richard Epgar, who does the voice of Bato. Um, and so it, it's one of my favorite animes. It's not for everybody. Um, it's very cerebral. Mm -hmm. um, it it's very slow at times. Uh, standalone complex is, is a little bit faster than some of the other stuff, but um, Overall, you know, as far as the honorable mention goes, I definitely have to give an honorable mention to Ghost in the Shell because that that's really one of my favorites of all time. But it just didn't make the top five simply because it didn't have the universal appeal that I think that the other five. Right. Do. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. I, I guess my honorable mention would probably be Cowboy Bebop. And, and for all the reasons you stated, um, you know, it's it just was running rabid when I got into the industry um, and started really watching stuff. And, you know, it's. It's fantastic. Yeah. So um, definitely worthy of an honorable mention. All right, John. So before we wrap things up. Um, Real quick. Yeah. Can I throw in my favorite anime movie of all time? Yeah, absolutely. Why not? Hayao Miyazaki's Princess Mononoke. Okay. I'm trying to think of mine right off the, right off the uh, top of my head. It's got to be a movie. It can't be a series. Yeah. 
I can't think of, is it uh, Miyazaki? Um, Fireflies, Grave of the Fireflies. That is Studio Ghibli. That was not Hayao Miyazaki himself, but that was his studio. That was his studio. Studio okay. Ghibli. But that, Roger that, Ebert said it was one of the most compelling war movies he'd ever seen. It's it's phenomenal. It's so it does make the cut. It is a movie, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. So I'd have to say that's another one that really kind of resonated some emotion. Um, and it's it's such a heartbreaking story. So, yeah, that would probably be my favorite anime movie. Um, we, so before we wrap it up, John, uh, any last things you want to cover? Shout outs. You've covered your social media already, but I'm going to give you the mic at the end. Um, I just I want to say thank you to everybody who over the last uh, decade and a half has been supportive of MechaCon. We certainly had our detractors, but for the most part, it's been uh, overwhelming support. Uh, both industry-wise and here at home, um, it's going to be a hard goodbye. When when that time comes, we have another year to prepare for it, which I, it was supposed to be in a couple of weeks. <laughs> I, had, I was ready for it. But, uh, it's going to be a hard goodbye yeah. to, to tell everybody goodbye. But um, I think in the end, it's going to be a positive thing for everybody, uh, especially myself and the people on our staff. And I want to give a hella great shout-out to uh, everyone on our staff, past and present. Uh, I, I have been blessed with some of the most amazing people that you could hope for to volunteer for a show like this. And I think that together, it wasn't anything that just me or just Peter or anybody did, but I think together we made something that really uh, kind of just blew everybody away. Mm-hmm. And I think that we, we created something that's going to have a, a legacy in people's mind, people's memories. And I think that's something we can all be proud of. And I, I thank you you and everybody else who was ever on staff and is currently on staff from the bottom of my heart for, you know, making my dream become a reality because absolutely, uh, yeah. And um, I want to give thanks to our sponsor for the show, uh, Gaming Galaxy of Houston. Um, They're Houston's premier video game hosting company, hosting tournaments all around the wonderful city of Houston. And uh, we're gracious enough to have them as a sponsor for this podcast. So thank you to those guys. Thank you, um, okay, John. Well, listen, man, um, it's not only, you know, great to have you as a guest, but it's great to talk to a, a friend of 20 plus years. And I'm glad that you're doing yeah, great. We're coming to town, man. We got to go get a beer. We'll get a beer, but you know what, even better, you know, talking about all this stuff, I think in 2021, um, I think I'll make the trip for the final MechaCon. Awesome. I'll hang out with the guys that are still there, and then uh, I, but I won't have to pull any security so I can enjoy my weekend. <laughs> I'll tell you what, man. I'll, I'll get you a past our dead dog. Oh, that will be great. That will be wonderful. Be much appreciated. Appreciate you being there. I know Travis will like that you're there, so that will be great. I'm sure. <laughs> All right, man. Well, again, thanks uh, for being on. And, everybody, this was Episode 3 of the Nerd Digest Podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you.